0: Well, hey friends. Welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans. And uh it's great to have you here today. I hope wherever you are in the world it's just a good one for you. Hope you're uh able to get out there with your mules, your horses, your donkeys today and spend a little time if you can. Maybe this podcast might inspire you to get out there and and uh yeah, work on that mulemanship, that horsemanship. So, yeah, I'm glad you're hanging out here today. I want to thank our sponsors. We've got a lot of really great supporters, and we're so grateful for them. We got Western Mule Magazine, Colt Saddlery, Roman Homes, and Mules and More Magazine. Big thanks to them. We're very grateful. Uh, today, I want to kind of do a little bit of a Mule Tip Tuesday. It's been a little while since I've taken some questions, and so I got some questions here, and I got a few topics I want to discuss. Uh, you know, things have been things have been a little bit busy around here. Um we're gearing up to head out on our spring tour. We leave in less than a week now. Head to Arizona. We got clinics in Mesa and Sayurita, Wickenburg and Sedona. So we spend 5 weeks down there in Arizona. And I can't wait to get out of the snow and the mud. It's uh you know, here in Utah it's one of those things where uh it'll freeze every night we're around you know from zero to about 15 degrees celsius or fahrenheit every night and uh you know and then every day it warms up to mid 30s it seems like and so we got a lot of mud and still got a lot of snow so i don't think the uh mud's gonna disappear anytime soon and you know trying to get stuff ready get the trailer packed up get the mules ready um you know one of the things that i just did yesterday i I took our all of our mules down to the vet and uh got all the all of our yearly stuff done um, and this is something I get a lot of questions about is is what we do as far as vet work and things like that and uh a lot of people have questions about traveling and what vet work you need um so every January or February. I haul all these mules a, a whole bunch of them down to the vet and actually uh we got we got a pile of them so it takes me two loads i got to take two loads <laughs> so i actually did a load yesterday and i did a load last last week as well but yeah uh, we go down there and we get the coggins done so we got to pull blood on it on everything um uh, i like to do the extended health certificates since i travel so much i used to have to get them done every month but most of the states are now on board with the six month extended health certificates, and that makes it so much easier for me not to have to find vets while I'm out on the road. Uh, but anyways, I get the extended health certificate. All the meals get their shots, they all get dewormed. Um, and I have the vet deworm them once a year like that and then and then six months from now i'll I'll just go buy you know a a dewormer from the feed store or whatever. So, and I kind of change it up a little bit every year, but I, I get something from there, but I like the vet to deworm him once he's got a, he's, he's got a good system. has got a tube. He can, he can kind of get back in their mouth further down their throat and, and, you know, get it in there. You know, when you've, when you deworm your mules with the paste or something, they, I swear they spit out half of it. So it's nice to have the vet, give them a good dose of dewormer and then I have them check all the teeth and and if they need floated you'll get them floated you know i got a lot of young mules so a couple of these uh molly mules you know their their wolf teeth kind of come in a little later so uh got these molly mules their wolf teeth pulled out the johns the john mules i i have their teeth pulled um, their wolf teeth pulled when when they're gelded but these molly mules i just kind of wait till they're ready so anyways we got some teeth pulled and teeth floated and, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a big to do, but it sure is nice when it's all done. So, and, and I have a great relationship with my vet. Uh, he's a, a good man. Mr. Paul Hatterley, shout out to Paul Hatterley down there at Rocky Mountain, large animal clinic in Spanish Fork, Utah. He's taking care of me for, and my mules for, oh shoot, I don't know, 15, 15 plus years uh, great man, good vet. Um, and he likes mules. So that is a, a big, a big bonus is that he likes mules. He rides mules, you know, he rides with us. He's a friend of ours and, and, uh, you know, that's a blessing there for sure. But, um, I wanted to say a few things about the vet work. Um, this can be a a little bit of a hot topic, I think, in the equine world. A lot of people have troubles with different things, shots, dewormer, whatever. Um, And so I want to talk a little bit about how I prepare my mules for vet work. And then I also want to talk about how to make it a better experience when you're actually at the vet. This is a big deal. You're going to have to have, you know, unless you do it yourself, And that's fine too, but you still got to prepare them, whether you're the vet or not. You got to prepare them, right? So all this stuff applies. Um, The main thing, the the main the main thing to be prepared for the vet is to have your mule or your horse, your donkey—it's all the same. Have them handy, okay? They need to be handy. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say to have them handy, what I mean is they need to be responsive and willing on the end of that lead rope um and the lighter the better and the softer the better so really they need to be broke to lead that's kind of what we're after here the 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 easier you can you can operate them with slack with that lead rope the better they're going to be for your vet um no, it just kind of depends on, on the weather, really, whether we go inside or we stay outside when I go down to the vet. For example, yesterday, it was really cold and really windy, so we brought all the mules in. Uh, it was one at a time. They didn't all get to go in at the same time. We go one at a time. And, uh, you know, they kind of have to go inside, you know, and, it, and their vision, their vision is slower to adjust to light than ours. So, you know, how you feel when somebody turns on a light. It's really bright to you if if you've been in the dark. If you um, if you've been in the light and you turn out the lights really quickly, it's pitch black for a moment, and then your eyes start to adjust. Uh, the mules and horses their their vision takes a little longer to adjust than ours. And so, for example, leading the mules in from from the outside, it's pretty bright. Suns up. It was a you know one of those. Uh, you know, blue sky, ice cold days (laughs) kind of things out here in the West. Um, and so they kind of got to go inside to that. It's a little darker in there, obviously. And, um, you know, they, they don't, you know, they're a little nervous. So especially the babies, when we had to lead them inside, you know, and they kind of have to go over that threshold, they, they didn't really want to, you know, they were, they were lingering there, but since all of my mules have a decent handle, they're not all perfect um, some of them are pretty dang good but uh, some of them are pretty green still but they all have some kind of handle on them I could lead them in there just fine and uh, get them into the vet chute if you if you can I suggest you always put them in the vet chute um, if you can now sometimes you're out in your pasture and they're out in a corral and you got to do your vet work there whatever that's fine but if you can go put them in a vet chute. I, I prefer it. And the reason I prefer it is I can put them in there and I don't have to worry about trying to control their movement or redirect their movement or whatever. I can put them in the, put them in his chute there and I can just let them relax a little bit. And so as long as they're handy enough to get in there, that's, that's going to be a big help. Um, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. I want to, kind of continue talking about my prep work before I get into, you know, how we handle it there. So I was getting a little ahead of myself there. You know, another thing, you know, I think probably the most important thing besides just having them handy on that lead rope is having them soft in the mind, having a good, willing frame of mind. And you do this throughout your daily work with your mule forever. There's not not a specific moment you work at it. You're always trying to Keep them in that good frame of mind. Keep them comfortable. Um, But you have to push a little bit. You kind of have to get them kind of curious, a little cautious, a little aroused, and uh, help them learn how to self-regulate, come back down off of those pressures, and they will learn some coping skills, like I like to say, some coping skills. You teach them to cope with some of these things that are a little scary. And the more often you do this, the more often you introduce your mule to things that will challenge them a little bit—not too much. You don't want to—you don't want to push that too much and make a mistake. But uh, push them enough that they have to kind of sort things out, and it's—it's it's, it's enough pressure that they need to seek comfort, but it's not so much pressure that's causing them to flee the scene. The more often you do this, just in your daily life, your daily leading them around your daily rides, your daily interactions with them. The more you kind of, you kind of exercise this, the, the better it's going to be for the mule. So you get them in that good frame of mind. I think those two things, if, if you can really focus on those two things, uh, that's going to be great. Now there's some bonus things you can work on, but the, the leading and the good frame of mind, I think are the most important. Obviously, there's some other things you can work on. If you, if you, you you never know when some, some lameness issue or some infection or some sore hoof or whatever, uh, some injury is going to come up in the legs. So having your mule, uh, good to handle their feet all the way around, good to pick up those feet, easy to work on. That's going to be a huge benefit to you. Be able to get those mules to pick up a foot and balance on the others and not be so heavy on the vet. Uh, The other thing you can work on is getting them good about opening their mouth. So uh, kind of picking up that top lip and getting them to kind of open their mouth, getting them comfortable handling around their mouth, their eyes, their ears, um, you know, comfortable touching them on the gut. You know, when, you know, you're, you know, like when I get my health cert, for example, my vet always listens to the lungs and he always listens to kind of the gut movements, and so those type of uh, type of things are great. Um, uh, you know, all that prep work will will help. And remember, uh, it is not your vet's job, absolutely not your vet's job, to train your mule to do any of these things. They specialize in equine medicine. They're not there to to teach your mule a lesson or work on behavior, uh, there to help the mule's health. So keep that in mind. And remember your, your vet, uh, reserves the right to fire you as a client. (laughs) So I, I sent out a, most of you listening probably receive our, our weekly or, or bi-weekly newsletter that we send out, um, via email. It's just a free little email. And if you're not, Go to my website, go to tsmules.com, and it should pop up there asking you to subscribe to the newsletter. But anyways, I always send out some things, and this was kind of the topic this week that I sent out, you know, preparing for the vet. And I and I put that in there. Your mule or your vet reserves the right to fire you as a client. They do. So if you get a good vet, like my vet is just wonderful, and I really appreciate him. I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure that. My mules will handle easy for them, and they don't always. Um, in fact, really surprisingly, my my main mule, Riata, and a lot of you follow along with Riata, but she just must have been having an off day. She was really sensitive to the needles yesterday, where usually she just stand there and doesn't care. I mean, she's usually just dead quiet, um, but she was a little sensitive. And, of course, she's in the vet shooting not a whole lot, you know, she's not going to do anything to, you know, to to push us or hurt us or whatever. But, you know, she was pretty sensitive with that needle there. So, um, you know, things come up, things come up. But the more you can do to prepare, keep them in a good frame of mind, whatever, uh, that's going to really help you at the vet. Now, back to what I was saying when you're at the vet. Now, I mentioned I like, if I can, and if if my vet lets me, if Paul lets me, I like to have my mules worked on in the vet chute. Now the reason is, like I said, is I don't have to worry about keeping a hold of them. Also, um, you know, like my my vet is wonderful, but a lot of the, the vet techs there, the, a lot of these, a lot of these folks that are the the vet techs, they're not, uh, you, you know, sometimes they're not particularly horsemen. Okay, and and I'm not saying I don't like how they handle my animal. I just would rather them not have to hang on them. Like a, a lot of those vet techs, they just really hang on the halter, okay? And I'm not blaming them. A lot of times they're getting jerked around and pulled around and pushed around, and I'm not blaming them for hanging on to the halter, okay? But what I'm saying is I'd rather them not have to. I'd rather them not have to because I'm really trying to preserve a lot of lightness in my mules. So I prefer to put them in the chute if I can. That way nobody has to hang on my mules. Um, nobody has to hang on the halter and, you know, drag them around. Okay. And the other thing I like about that is I can put them in the vet chute there. And a lot of times the vets, they're getting his shots ready. He's he's getting, getting, you know, uh, getting his gear ready to float teeth or, you know, whatever he's got going there. And it gives the mule a chance just to sit there and soak a little bit and relax and not be in a hurry and just kind of find a little comfort there. And I like that. Letting them just sit. And then they get a little work done on them. And then after, if I, if I hopefully the vet's not in too big of a hurry, but after they're done getting their shots or dewormed or teeth floated or whatever checked, um, let them soak there for just a, a few moments. I mean, I'm not saying to sit there for 10 minutes because you, your vet probably has another appointment lined up right behind you. So, you know, you don't get a lot of time. But maybe if you can just let them sit for a minute or two before you pull them out immediately after the vet work is done. For example, you get shots, if you can let them sit for 30 seconds, a minute or two minutes or whatever, and you don't have to, you know, necessarily quote me on that time. I'm just giving you an example, but if you can let them soak a little bit, it seems that they can learn to self-regulate. They can kind of down-regulate and relax a little bit and not just be up and on high alert and on all the, you know, on the sympathetic side of the nervous system. They don't have to be so worried there. So that's one thing I like to do there. Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing I like to do is I like to get there early and unload my mules at the trailer. And I, I understand they they maybe have appointments before me or maybe they're not there. I usually try to book my appointments at my vet first thing in the morning. So I'm the very first client. And I get there early because I know my vets are early riser and he's always there early and, you know, he don't mind me getting in there. Uh, but I'd like to get there and let the meal stand tight at the trailer. So I'm not just, what I don't like is to hustle and hurry. You know, being late is, is the worst. I mean, I think that's just the worst thing to do for your animals going to the vet. Cause then you're going to be in a hurry. You're going to be stressed. They're going to feel your anxiety. You're going to try to hurry them into the trailer, hurry and time up. You hurry and you get there. You're probably driving too fast. You're probably making them. You know, taking them off balance quite a bit in the trailer. You get there, you pull them out of the trailer. You, you know, they get stabbed with the needles, and and you know their teeth checked, and you know lips kind of cranked on, and pushed and prodded, or whatever. And then you're hurrying, load them back up, and leave. I don't like that. I'd rather have time to 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 take it easy, catch them. You know, not in a hurry. Uh, get there, time up, not in a hurry. Get my vet work done, not in a hurry because I'm early you know, vet can take his time after the vet work is done time up at the trailer, uh, let them stand there. I go in, I pay my bill, you know, they're all my friends there. So I often visit a little while, whatever. I think that's a better experience for them. Don't be in such a hurry. So anyways, uh, yeah, that's kind of something I wanted to mention since it's kind of recent. So yeah, there you go. Now, i got a lot of good questions that came in today. Um, Let me pull these up here. The first one I got uh, actually just came in before I started the podcast. And it's from Jennifer. I don't know the last name or, or anything or where they're from. Or they're from Arizona. I do know that. Jennifer from Arizona. Okay. I have a long commute to work during the week and religiously listen to your podcast. Thanks, Jennifer. Glad you're listening. Uh, I have heard you say many times when your mule runs off or spooks or bolts under saddle uh, to ride it out. You have stated the, quote, one rain emergency stop is overrated. So this leads me to question on this. In cactus country, riding it out isn't really a great option for the obvious. When there's cholla, cactus, and other barbed hazards on much of our terrain, uh, and off trail, you have got to get your mule to stop or under control pretty fast, because you need to avoid a really nasty, worse outcome, impalement, especially on your mule. I do want my mule to know that one rain stop and be supple to the maneuver and yield and respond quick to my request. Riding out isn't suitable in certain terrain. Um, so I'm not really sure of the question in there, Jennifer. Uh, it was more like a statement. Uh, But you're right. Um, You're right. So, so to, to make it clear, I do teach and we call it the lateral stop. Um, I don't call it emergency stop because it's, again, I will say that it's not the best option for most riders in an emergency. Um, I've seen way more accidents. um, I don't know if you call it accident or just a wreck. I'll just call it a wreck. I've seen more wrecks from people doing the lateral stop when their animals freaking running off and hauling butt and they go to bend it around and they roll that thing, you know, um, you, you know, and you can just watch, watch any Hollywood Western movie. And you can see how these guys tip horses over all the time, you know, in these little shootouts they have or whatever, and it shows the horse t- tipping over, uh, notice how they do that. They have the animal's head bent clear around and the rider tips, tips their weight, uh, and throws that horse off balance and down it goes. So, you know, if you're going to use the lateral stop for an emergency, you need to be pretty good and pretty educated about where your weight and balance will be. That's important. Um, but yeah, it, it, in, depending on what terrain you're in, you're right. If you're in all this cactus country, First of all, I probably wouldn't be writing something that has any any tendency to to bolt or run off out there. If I'm, I I hate choya. <laughs> you know, if you guys don't know what choya is, go Google it. It is a it is a a plant uh, from hell. Uh, I'd say <laughs> it's a, and you know, uh, and it and it breaks off and it has a nickname of jumping cactus and. And I've seen a lot of wrecks come from choya. I've seen a lot of wrecks come from choya. So you're right, Jennifer. I would be avoiding that choya at all costs. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so yeah, in, in your situation, Jennifer, absolutely. Um, maybe that's the best thing you can do. And I would say you would actually implement that lateral stop as you feel them build. Because once they are running off and bolting, if you if you try to do that, you're probably going to end up in the Choya anyways. Um, but if you can feel them build, and you can feel them get bothered, that's the time uh, to implement it. Okay, not when they're actually running off. Um, but yeah, you know all these things. Um, I hope I hope all of you can use discretion on all of the answers that I offer up. Uh, to the questions I get here on this podcast, and I do appreciate the questions, and if any of you ever have a question, be sure to send it to me, uh, send it to my email, and put question for Meal Tip Tuesday in the subject. My email is ty at tsmules.com, and I do appreciate the questions, but please use discretion, because I don't know the circumstances, just like this, because um, if 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 they had sent a question just, okay, what do I do with a meal that bolts or runs off or whatever, you know, I would, I would give my answer to that. But if you say, what do I do if my mill bolts runs off or whatever, and I'm in Arizona in Choya country? Well, it is different. I say don't ride that thing outside of the arena or outside of some country that doesn't have all that, you know, uh, make sure you ride it somewhere where you're not going to have to deal with that for a long time until you kind of have that thing tuned up. I mean, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to, even, even me with, with my skills and ability and my knowledge, I'm not going to go get on a runaway in a bunch of Choya country. So anyways, please use discretion, common sense there. And yes, Jennifer, you are right. You, you may have to get them pretty handy. And the, the key is, is to make sure that you practice these things ahead of time. So, you know, don't, you don't want to pull out that tool that you've never used. Um, you know when something comes up you, you know you you need to know how to use that tool before that thing comes up so anyways thanks for that Jennifer appreciate it um we got a few more here but we got to take a quick break and thank our sponsors at Boyd Ranch Mule Days okay we'll be right back hey friends i want to thank our amazing sponsors over at the Boyd Ranch Mule Days. I've been going down to the Boyd Ranch just outside of sunny Wickenburg, Arizona uh, for the past couple of years. I've had a lot of fun doing clinics down there and I can't wait to go back in March. Boyd Ranch Mule Days is now the entire week of March 7th through the 13th, 2022. And of course my clinic is three days long. That's the 7th through the 9th. Uh, along with my good friend, Mr. Chris Clark, who is a Grand Canyon uh, veteran. He's been down there, been packing many years, very experienced, and a great teacher. You'll enjoy learning from Chris as well. You know, they also got a driving clinic down there. And, uh, you know, I don't know a lot about driving. And uh, this is going to be fun to, to see what's going on over there. There's some, they're covering some basic harnessing and driving single and double. You know, after three full days of clinicking between my clinic, the packing clinic, and the driving clinic. Then it's time to get out on the trail. They got short, medium, long rides uh, going on, and also an ultra-long wilderness ride they offer. Uh, They got their famous trail obstacle course. They they got their all-out mule ramble going on. They're giving away ribbons, prizes, and I think they've even talked me into being the announcer for the event, so I'm going to have a blast there for sure. Every night, there's There's food, good food, Uh, they got concerts going on, live music and dancing, and it's going to be a ton of fun, family friendly, and I just can't wait to be there. If you want to come to Boyd Ranch Mule Days, I'd love to see you there. Go visit boydranch.org for more information and to apply to join us. Hey, I can't wait to see you there. Looking forward to it. All right, we're back, and I do appreciate our sponsors uh, down there, at the Boyd Ranch Mule Days. I can't wait to get down there. It's only, what, three weeks away, four weeks away, I think, coming up here. I can't wait. So it's great. We we do the clinic there and then go ride and eat good food, and it always seems to attract really cool people. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm ready to get out of the snow for dang sure. All right, I got some more questions for y'all. Okay, this question comes from uh, Mary uh, Brugman. I hope I said that last name right, Mary. I apologize. Um, Mary says, hello, love the videos and podcast. Been watching been watching and listening any chance I get. I have an almost three-year-old mule. Uh, got her when she was five months old. I uh, thought I was teaching her to lead right and doing a little groundwork. She always comes to the gate, loves to be caught. Uh, was leading her almost every day between two different pastures, trying to always catch and lead with quality. She was finally leading close to what I thought uh, was what I would want, which is a loose line, go when I go, stop when I stop, without having to use the rope. Uh, One day when I was leading her, she bolted. Since then, she got away from me a few times. I was just working on clearing clearing the front, rolling the hinds, uh, she seems to be doing fine. Still afraid to take her out of the pen. Uh, last time, she almost got away from me. What am I doing wrong? If she tries to get away but doesn't, what is the best thing to do? Be a comfort, back her up. I am so frustrated thinking I was doing all the right stuff for a couple years to realize I have screwed up majorly. Uh, to sum up at this point, I don't feel like I could lead her without her getting away. Help and thanks. Okay, Mary. Um, first of all, you haven't screwed her up. And and don't regret working all those years and all that time. It, it, it's not a waste. You know, time spent uh is is good. Um, you know, and, and I realize, you know, this is something I realize in most of my travels here all over the country and you know, the few other countries I've been to, Canada and Australia and whatever. Um, most people are doing the right thing. They really are. Most people are doing the right things. It's not like they're doing something wrong. But what I do notice is a lot of people don't do enough of it. So they're doing the right steps, doing the right moves, you know, you know, doing these things, but they're not doing enough of it. Um, so let's talk about this a little bit. Okay. So she's she's been going good for a while. Something bothered the mule, obviously, uh, to cause her to bolt. And uh, maybe when she bolted, um, you know, she got away there, she trotted off. What happened was she found a big release wherever it was that she ran off to. okay, she 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 found a big release. Now, there's something you need to understand. when they are pushed or spooked into that frame of mind, when they're that far gone, that they feel the need to flee the scene run away that is a state of mind they are way up high in that sympathetic nervous system they are way up to the flight and fight and and when they run off like that they it doesn't really matter the the situation because in their mind they are truly in danger and they are seeking comfort elsewhere they're seeking safety now this is a more traumatic situation than you know than others when they, you know, they can kind of hold it together. Maybe it's a a little spook or just a little jump sideways or whatever, but when they get this far into the spook, it gets pretty bad. Now, what happens a lot of times is, is the mule does make a little spook. It's not that big of a deal, but, um, maybe you're dragging, maybe you're, you're too far behind or something. You're kind of dragging along or you're, you're kind of, I don't know. We, you know, you're put in a situation where the mule just sees you as a predator falling behind. At that point, you either have to hang on all the way through and stay with it, which is really difficult and maybe extremely dangerous. But you either got to stay in there and hang with it, or it might have been better that you let it go right off the bat and didn't put them into the to the chase, the the predator chasing the prey feeling. So what happens a lot of times people try to hang on. Uh, and they can only hang on so long, the mule's dragging them, and the mule's put in this state of mind that it thinks it's being chased by this predator, or whatever, and it finally gets away, and it runs down the road, or whatever, to the neighbor's pasture, where the neighbor's horses are, The mule stops, gets this big old dopamine hit, gets this big release, and feels great. okay, because that was a traumatic situation, those, those things, those, those memories are going to be a little stronger than maybe your baseline working on, you know, turning or stopping, you know, where, where you know, when you work on those things, it's just a little bit of stress, not a whole lot, a very manageable level. They come off it easy you know they'll remember over time but it's not that big of a deal. But these traumatic instances they they kind of hang on to it and they and and it's like they make these these highways in their brain that say okay, when this happens I need to do this and find that comfort as fast as I can. Um it's it's no different than no different than you and I uh in some ways. You know, I can you know, I, I've done this little test many times. I can ask somebody, what was the best day of your life? Tell me the very best day. And they'll often say, well, I uh, I think it was the day I got married. Oh, no, maybe it was the day I had my first child. Or uh, no, it was the day I bought my house. I don't know. You know, people will go through all these these uh, examples of the best day of their life. But if I say, tell me the worst day of your life, they got it like that. They can just say, yep, I know that. And they they can tell me right on. They don't have to think hard about that. Those traumatic situations, they're just more memorable. And it's no different for the mule, okay? Um, except for the mule is a, a major comfort-seeking device. They really want to find the comfort. And so it might not be so much as, as the terrible thing that happened that made them bolt so much as they really found out where that comfort was. Because what happens is over time is is that that situation can... Kind of flood over into other situations, you know. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm trying to think of an example here from her. What she's saying, she's saying she has trouble leading it from one pasture to the next. So, let's say leading it from one pasture to the next, you have to go past a scary, um, a scary bucket. Okay, and then maybe every time they pass the scary bucket, this mule gets real bothered. Okay. Eventually, this is going to flood over into where you you the mule will you'll go to load it up a, in the trailer, and just a little pressure causes that mule to want to flee the scene. You go to lead the mule out the gate, and just a little pressure causes it to flee the scene. So what what's happened is the mules learned to, to downregulate by getting away from you and finding comfort elsewhere away from you. So you've become a source of discomfort rather than comfort. So. What we gotta do here we gotta we gotta make some new connections, Mary. we gotta we gotta rebuild this thing to where that mule seeks some comfort. So you're good by working in your paddock or your corral. That's a good idea. and you you need to work on small increments of stress, little stress, you know, and stress can be you simply asking the mule to clear the front, you know, move that front end to the left or to the right on the ground. So just sending them, from the left to the right on the ground, moving that front end away from you, that might be enough pressure to set them off. So you start real small. You try to get one little step at a time, one little piece at a time. Um, Maybe it builds from there to where now the circle is stressful. Maybe you get that going good. And they learn to self-regulate and relax and come off of each of these little pieces. And you, you build through the checklist. You go through the checklist, adding in a little stress at a time. If you kind of follow that checklist, by the time you get way down the list, you you see you're asking moves from the mule that are much more complicated, much more stressful than in the beginning. And anyways, you got to teach that mule some coping skills. But you might have to start real small like that and build up. And as that mule gets more coping skills, it'll build these new little highways in their brain, these new little dendrite connections in their mind, that, that now have have, have new, um, new connections and new exits, so to speak. So where now when they get stressful, instead of fleeing the scene, that was their highway before. That was like the major highway in their brain says, okay, when you get stressed, run. Okay, instead of that, you you just built a new little exit off of that highway. Okay, when you get a little stressed there, we're going to exit off that highway over here, and we're going to do this instead. And you build these new highways, these new connections in their brain, help them cope with that. Uh, So really, keep going through your checklist, Mary. Keep working on those particulars. Step it up a little at a time. One of the worst things you can do is kind of sneak around them or be real cautious. Now, you may have to be more cautious in the beginning, but you don't want to always be like that. You want to eventually turn it up a little at a time. And notice, if they get built up, if they get real scared, don't be shy to kind of come back down a little bit and let them soak and let them just sit there and self-regulate, down-regulate again. Now, this that question from Mary is very similar to this question here, and the answer is very similar. So, I'm going to read this question here. This is from Pam Howell in Kansas. Uh, Hi, Ty. I've had my mule Crowley for almost four years now. I've always struggled with Crowley because he is anxious. He bolts and runs through his shoulder and gets uh, gets in a bad frame of mind, but we have worked through it so far. There are times that he is quite good. We have been to one of your clinics, and I didn't feel like we were that bad. I ride him one to two times per week, depending on the weather. For the last three months or so, I feel like his behavior is worsening. He tosses his head, doesn't want to get caught, and today, after I caught him, he would not let me pet or brush him. He used to come up to the fence and greet me. Now he does not. I see that he licks his lips a lot and gets uh, stress diarrhea. Sometimes he gets diarrhea when he sees me at the fence, um, which is a little disheartening, she says. Um, and he always gets diarrhea after I catch him. He is currently being housed in a pasture with too many donkeys and being fed around bell. Should I keep him in a smaller pen until I can reliably catch him? What advice do you have for me? Honestly, on days like today, I don't feel safe with him. Thank you, Pam Howell. All right, Pam kind of the same thing going on that Mary has going on um you know uh the we got to understand in, in equine horses um, and mules especially donkeys not as bad but horses and mules have that high flight instinct they you know their the, the the mule and the horse's motto is whoever leaves first lives longest so she mentioned that, she, that sometimes this mule Crowley will bolt, we'll bolt a little as well, uh, same as Mary's. But the, the main thing, the, the main similarity is not necessarily the bolting in these two. It is the anxiousness in these two. Uh, that is the big problem, okay? So we, we got to take this in small increments, like I was saying, with Mary's, small little pieces. So a lot of what I said to Mary uh, will apply to you, Pam, if you're listening. Um small little increments, a little at of time. And the other thing is you don't have to work every time you're around this mule. So I think a lot of what you might have going on is also a little herd bound issue. So, you know, a lot of times they get this anxiety when you pull them out from the donkeys probably, and they, uh, you know, maybe a little worried about leaving there. Um, so, you know, you could... You could do this in small little pieces. You can pull that mule out there and maybe just, just lead him out the gate. And just leading him outside the gate, you might just stop and stand there and pause for a little bit and wait for him to relax and come down. And then after he does that, wait a little longer and then put him back. So even if your work schedule's hectic, you can probably afford 10 minutes a day of, of just catch him. Lead him out the gate. And if that's too much, catch him and lead him to the gate and just stand there. He might be getting anxious. You just leading them to the gate. Uh, so you might break it down like that even. Um, and then you get to where you can lead them out there. Tie them up to your high line or your hitching rail or a pole or something or your trailer. And let them kind of stand there and relax. I'm just saying you don't have to work him every time you catch them. Uh, you know... Another thing is when you do work him and ride him, you need to make sure that you're doing enough to actually get him into a good frame of mind, get him into a a frame of mind where he's learning and he's not so bothered. He's not so worried. And that might take you a little while too, but kind of like what I was mentioning earlier is a lot of people do the right thing. They just don't do enough of it. When I was talking about Mary's mule, uh, you got to hang in there until you get these mental changes. The mental changes are more important to me than the mechanical changes. Meaning, I, I care that they're in a good frame of mind more so than how well they can turn or stop or back up or lope or whatever. I care about that mental frame of mind because at this point in my journey, I now realize that, you know what, if you got the mind right, Everything else will come together in a matter of time, but if you don't have that mind right, you're going to be constantly fixing up that mechanical. You'll have them stopping good this week, but then they'll get lacking next week, and you got to tune it up again. You'll have them turn around nice this week, but a month from now it'll be dull, and you got to tune it up again. But if you got that good frame of mind, it seems to really stick there. So work hard to get them a good frame of mind. Now we got to, you know. Well, one thing you might do, Pam, and I sent this out actually in my newsletter yesterday too, but back in 2020, so I can't believe it's two years ago now, uh, back in 2020, I did a, a series of videos of weekly videos. I call it the everyday meal, the 2020 everyday mealmanship challenge. So basically I sent out a video every week for something you to work on, on a daily basis. And you kind of built upon it each day, and it got better each day. And anyways, but Pam and Mary and and any of you out there, I'd recommend you go take a look at those videos. Go back to week one, Catching with Quality, and work on up that list through there. Just a little out of time. It's just a few minutes every day. Work on that. And if you're not on the video library, um, you're kind of missing out. We, We now have over 300 videos on there. And we got a whole bunch in the work. It's almost video season for us coming up. As soon as the weather's nice, well, we're going to be videoing when we get down to Arizona now that we got some nice weather. Weather's going to be nice. We're going to be getting back to making videos. I got about 100 more in the works coming out this year. But but anyways, go through that Everyday mealmanship Challenge. Go through each week of them, Pam. And um, if you're not on the video library, jump on there. Use uh, use code mule 22 and you'll get 10% off a, of a yearly subscription. But um, anyways, I hope those suggestions help you, Pam and Mary. Uh, I got a couple more questions here. Um, this question comes from Zach Waddle. Uh, hey, Ty, I just got my first mule, Calamity Jane. Uh, she hasn't been ridden in two years, and I'm very new to riding mules. Uh, we're getting along pretty good. All things considered, except she throws a fit on just about every downhill. It might be just me, but she seems to want to get turning, uh, turned facing uphill. Any thoughts on what might be causing this? So, Zach, um, good question, sir. Uh, the The first thing that comes to my mind on a mule that's having trouble going downhill, that wants to turn and face uphill—that's the key. That really wants to turn face uphill. Is probably pain. That's probably pain being inflicted, probably on those shoulder blades. Okay. That's, that's, that's the first thought that comes to my mind when I'm, you know, that's the best I can say without being able to see this. Now, if you told me the mules kind of throws a fit going downhill and kind of wants to maybe buck a little bit, kick out, toss its head, and it just wants to keep going downhill. You know, sometimes that's cult stuff. Uh, sometimes that's how the rider is sitting. So there's a few things to consider on this. Um, usually, if you can rule out pain, then you can kind of get to working on the mule's behavior and the rider's behavior. So first thing I would say is, how is my saddle sitting while I'm going downhill? Is it sliding forward a lot? If it is, maybe you need to adjust your bridge in a little tighter. Maybe before you get to something steep, Set your saddle back a little bit more, tighten your bridge in a couple of extra holes, and go down that steep hill. Uh, you might check on your rear, the rear cinch. The rear cinch will help keep that uh, the cantle down. And so sometimes the people ride without a rear cinch or a loose rear cinch. That kind of causes the saddle to roll up forward. Again, uh, the saddle might fit great, but because that it rolls forward because your weight is forward and you're going downhill you might put a lot of pressure right there behind the shoulders Uh, and i like to ride my rear cinch vertical straight up and down i don't like it back in the guts and actually tonight uh tonight which is february 15th we have our uh another virtual clinic about tools of the trade and i'll be talking about cinch placement and saddle fit and uh things of that nature on our virtual clinic tonight. If you if you're not uh signed up for that to join us, go to my website tsmules.com, click on 2022 virtual clinics and sign up for tools of the trade. That starts tonight, six o'clock mountain time. Uh that's February 15th, 2022. Anyways, but I would check that Zach. Um you can also check just your general saddle fits with your saddle loose on there. See how much rocker is happening on those bars of your saddle. If you've got a lot of rocker on there, that tells you that saddle's going to tip forward. Um, you know, you might, you might check those things first. Now, once you rule out poor saddle fit or poor adjustment, because sometimes you guys saddles fit just fine, but you have them adjusted wrong. Like, honestly, I, I see that more than anything. The saddle fits just fine, but it's adjusted wrong, or it's not set correctly, or people aren't using the correct tack and gear to go with their saddle. So you might check that thing first, Zach, okay? Saddle fit and saddle adjustment, and gear and tack adjustment and fit, okay? Now, after that, I'm going to check on the rider, okay? So the first thing I check on is saddle fit and adjustment, tack fit and adjustment. Second thing is rider balance, uh, you said you're new to riding, so this could lead me to believe that you, you may be sitting in a way that is conflicting to the mule going downhill. So a lot of times people will just sit in the saddle going downhill, and they don't distribute weight down to their feet, down their stirrups. They don't set their, their feet forward. They don't tip back. And so basically, the mule is packing all this dead weight up on top of their back going downhill. It can be challenging, and it it's it can be a little hard for them. So check how you're riding, okay? Now, what I want to see, like I mentioned, is I'd, if you're going down something pretty steep, I want to see your feet set forward. I want to see your heels down. I want to see most of your weight distributed to your stirrups. I want to see you kind of in an athletic stance, but instead of your upper body being forward, your upper body is going to be tilted back just a little bit as you go downhill. So basically, you're kind of staying vertical. So if your mule is going down a pretty steep hill, your body should still be vertical on the hill as if you're standing on the side of the hill up straight. All right? Um, so you check on little things like that. Uh, a lot of people tend to hang on the reins going downhill. They don't realize they're doing it. They don't know that they're pulling back. Make sure that you're giving that mule plenty of rain. You want that mule to be able to extend its head way out there. You want it to be balanced there. And going downhill like that needs to have its head out, okay? Um, You don't want their head, like, tucked down. You don't want their head way back up in your lap, but it needs to be kind of extended out there as you're going downhill. So make sure you're giving that thing plenty of rain. All right? So you check on your rider balance. Now, the last thing you check on is just general behavior. Sometimes these mules uh, have a hard time going downhill, Per, uh, particularly colts, you know, young colts, they don't know how to, they hardly know how to carry their own weight downhill. And then you add your weight to it, um, you know, and I, and the saddle weight and just that much, especially on some of these smaller colts, you know, like I'm riding a lot of these cow bred, bread bred colts, they're just little, uh, you know, the weight ratio gets pretty close there and I can throw them off balance pretty easily. And so the way, you know, uh, them packing me you know down the hill might be just enough to kind of kind of turn them off a little that way okay so i'm going to check on that behavior a lot of times they get a little frisky going downhill you might just reach down and i might turn them uh to kind of parallel the hill turn them uh horizontal on the hill there and i might ride to the side a little bit left or to the right for a while and then go back down um you know sometimes they get hurt or they have poor fitting saddle prior to you getting them and they've learned to how to avoid that pain at all costs. And so they might know, Hey, if I just get turned around, go back uphill, it's going to feel good. And I won't, it won't be in pain and, and they might not hurt anymore, but that might be in their, in their mind that that's just kind of a learned behavior. So anyway, Zach, I hope that helps you. Uh, next question comes from Dallas Walkie up there in Canada. Hey Dallas, how you doing, my friend? Uh, Dallas says after watching the snaffle progression video, we were not sure on headstall topics. So what he's talking about is the virtual clinic that I did in January on uh, from snaffle bit to bridle uh, progressions of making a bridle mule. Um, that's what he's talking about. So he's not sure on head on the headstall. Uh, are, are slit ear or one ear head stalls suitable for a snaffle bit? Or are those head stalls only for the bridle? If so, why? So Dallas, when it comes to, to headgear, and this is something else we're going to be talking about tonight on our virtual clinic about tools of the trade, is headgear um, along with saddles and tack and other things. Okay, the first thing I'll tell you, Dallas, it, it doesn't matter. You can use whatever you want. If it holds the bit in place and it's comfortable to the animal, rock on. Now, yes, traditionally, the slit ear or the one ear head stalls, they are reserved for mules that are straight up in a bridle. So carrying a bridle bit, so they're not necessarily for the snaffle. Now, it's mostly it's mostly for the progression. So when I have a mule that's in a snaffle bit, its it's going to be green to intermediate. Uh, it's going to be one that might shake its head, might be one that maybe takes me through the trees, maybe one I don't have control of. And and by the time I graduate out of the snaffle bit, they're going to be an intermediate level and they're going to be really great. But in the beginning, you know, riding these young colts, uh, you know, out through the trees to the brush, you know, um, a, a lot of fast work, uh, busy work. I want a more secure head stall. Um, whereas, when they are finally at an advanced level in the bridle, um, I'm not gonna be pulling on those things. I'm not gonna be, you know, reaching down my rein and pulling them around and worry about uh, pulling a, a head stall off. Uh, these animals aren't gonna be trying to rub up against a tree or something. They're they're um, they're gonna be pretty comfortable. And so that you know, that, that one ear head stall or the slit ear is gonna be totally Totally great, totally secure on them. So, anyways, there's no particular, you know, for sure, uh, on what to use there. I typically like to use browband stalls for my snaffle, and then I use the one ear or split ear um, for uh, bridle mules. Good question, Dallas. All right, friends, it's been great hanging out with you. I appreciate these questions. If you have questions or topics that you would like to hear on our podcast be sure to send me an email. Send it to ty at tsmules.com. Be sure to put question for Mule Tip Tuesday or question for the podcast in the subject line. And, uh, you know, as always, we would love to hear from you. I would love to hear what you think of our podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you would leave a review, leave five stars if you feel like we deserve it, and tell us what you think. All right? Until next time, God bless all of you. Hope you have a great day and we will see you down the road.